4. And so I know there's been a couple of weeks break now, so I just want to refresh your memories and just jog it a few, uh, a little bit, in case you may have just forgotten. I'll just be brief. But we did look initially, we looked at some of the confusion and controversy that surrounds the doctrine of holiness because, and, it, and its implementation and its practice because this is uh, an area that has uh, uh, created confusion and controversy in the church for some time. And so obviously there is a biblical teaching that we want to examine and draw out from the scriptures. Then we looked at the, the issue of God's holiness or the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men. And so, obviously, when we talk about holiness, uh, in essence, we identify with the sep- God is separate to sinners. God is separate to, uh, in that he is unique and he is holy and, uh, and altogether different, amen, from us because we are tainted we, with a sinful nature and sin has corrupted us all. And so when we talk about holiness, we must identify the nature of God and the nature of men and the sinfulness of men in their wickedness. And so we looked at that, and then we looked in our last session when we had together, we looked at holiness is in Christ. And so this is important. These are all foundational. And even today, what I'm going to talk about is still looking at the panorama, the the broader issue of holiness, and and seeking to identify some things before we we will, in the series, delve deeper into the Scripture. But we looked at holiness is, that is in Christ. If you want to call it positional, forensic, there's various terms. Of sanctification is really uh, synonymous with the word holiness in that uh, we have been sanctified in Christ. Christ has come unto us, been made unto us sanctification. And so this has got nothing to do with uh, the work that we have done. It's the work that God has done in us in that he saved us and he has declared us holy, without blame, in his sight. And this is something that when you consider sin and you consider the work of redemption and you consider that we are justified, free from all guilt and declared righteous in the sight of God, that is holiness in essence. Holiness is in Christ. And these are foundations Foundation stones, because as you move on in the doctrine of holiness and we start to look at some of the practical applications in Scripture and what the Scripture reveals, it cannot be divorced from these truths. You have to have these found, uh, understandings because you will. the tendency is, is to, if you're ignorant of these, you'll proceed on a false principle and uh, ultimately, in, as in all things, you'll get yourself into trouble. And as the, list, as the saying goes, we learn things the hard way. And really, that's my experience. Uh, I, I, I speak that from experience, not as one that stands here and wants to give all the dissertation on, on the doctrine, but uh, it comes from the agony of my own walk with the Lord over now 30 years. And so I share these things, and the Lord has shown me and taught me over the years as well. So holiness is in Christ. And when we talk about holiness in Christ, this brings into view this morning that something that I want to consider more in detail and more focused on, and that is the New Covenant. The New Covenant or the New Testament. Remember the Bible's made up of the Old or First Covenant and the Second or New Covenant. The New Old Testament, the New Testament. And so when we talk about Christ, obviously Christ is related to 
the first covenant, the New Testament. And so, uh, and that's why we make an emphasis of holiness is in Christ as, as separate from that which relates to the first covenant and the Old Testament and specifically as well with the nation of Israel. Now, you may recall that uh, I, I made mention in one of my messages and I said how there are certain scriptures that you find in the Bible that are in the Old Testament and they're repeated in the New Testament. You know, be holy for I am holy is a commandment of God. And so clearly uh, that, that is there. And there are, other, there are other aspects of the Old Testament too that are quoted in the New Testament that relate to uh, holiness and the practical living of holiness. And so my, issue, my point is, is that God doesn't change. Okay? It's not like that the, somehow the God of the Old Testament is, new, is different from the God of the New Testament. It's a, he is unchanging. But at the same time, there is a distinction because if we, have, if we were to approach holiness with an Old Testament mindset, then we'll end up in the same problem that the Jews and, and the rest of the nation of Israel and all of those that followed uh, God ended up in. And that is that they tried to establish their own righteousness and a self-righteousness and a holiness that was, was not holy at all. In fact, Jesus criticized it and said that externally it looked okay or appeared to be okay, but inwardly it was a different story. So to understand holiness this morning and how it is achieved, we must understand the distinction between the two covenants. Okay? So listen carefully to what I'm saying here because, again, this is foundational. To understand holiness and how it is achieved in the Christian life, according to New Testament teaching, we must understand the distinction between the two covenants. Otherwise, we'll fall into the same trap as those in the Old Testament who sought to uh, um, uh, establish their own righteousness before God, who sought through their own self-effort to obey the commandments and please God, who sought in and of themselves with all that was in them to try and fulfill God's law, just like Paul the Apostle said uh, that he had tried to do and failed miserably at. And so um, we, do, we must understand that we cannot fulfill the law of God in our own strength. And when, as Christians, we take the same approach and we have the same mentality, then we'll run into the same problems that they ran into in the Old Testament. And uh, we've seen it again and again uh, in church history uh, in, in, when it comes to holiness doctrine and holiness practices and some of the errors and, again, We've touched upon it briefly on a couple of things, but this is, there's much in all of this. But you see, the New Testament or the New Covenant makes provision. The New Testament, the New Covenant makes or teaches us something about how to achieve practical holiness in the Christian life. Because it is expected. Be holy for I'm holy. It's the same commandment in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But how is it achieved? So we looked at holiness is in Christ. That's foundational. But let's look a little bit more at what I'm talking about. And we'll start with a familiar portion of text in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. The prophet Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet, 
who's prophet, the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah to the house of Israel and by extension to us. And it's a prophecy concerning the new covenant. It's a prophecy concerning that which is to come back in those days that relates to Christ and how it relates to God's people and how it relates to us. So let's look at this because it talks about a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The Bible says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that um, in the day that I took them out of the hand, sorry, um, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Now, what does holiness have to do with the text? Well, it has a lot to do with the text. Because there's a couple of things that are being introduced and spoken here that we must take note of and understand. And so when we talk about holiness and when we talk about the law of God, because God says, he refers, I will write their law, my law, in their heart. I will put my law in what? Their mind. Their mind and their heart. We're talking about the soul. We're talking about the spiritual person. Not externally now, this is all internal. And so when we talk about holiness, we're dealing with the heart, the mind, and uh, the, uh, the, 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 the heart, the soul, that which in, in, uh, in, uh, incorporates the will, the emotions, the choices, the person, the who, the who we are. And so God says to Israel that they broke the first covenant, but he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Now, the law does not change. My law does not change. But what is distinctively different is in verse 33, as we says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And he also says in verse 33, and they shall... I'd say verse 34, and they shall know me. They all shall know me. Now, what did Jesus say in John 17, eternal life was? Knowing God. Eternal life is to know God. Not know about him, but know him. There's a distinct difference. And so here it is, knowing God. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you. The Father. And more than that, in knowing God, what is the mystery of the gospel 
as Paul wrote it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in us, in you. So when we talk about the new covenant, we're talking about some distinctive aspects that deal with knowing God and having Christ in us. That is, that the Bible teaches that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells our heart. That is, in and of itself, an amazing, amazing thing. But that is what the new covenant is about. I will put my law in, uh, uh, in their minds and in the, I will write it on their hearts. It's spiritual. It's an internal issue. It has to do with the heart and the Spirit of God and the knowledge of God and knowing God and having a relationship with God, walking with God, fellowshipping with God, pleasing God. And so we've made, and I've spoken about, and you can listen to these, they're on um, Facebook and on the church's website, I believe, as well if you need to familiarise yourself. But we've spoken about holiness that is in Christ. And we are separated unto him. And that is positional. That is something that is clearly, clearly revealed in the scriptures. But this does not take away from the practical application and the pursuit of holiness that we find in scripture. Again, it's just how is it achieved is the question. It's there, it's evident as we will discover as we go along in the series. But how is it achieved? Is it just this, my willpower, determination, a self-determination to, to, that I'm going to do this? No, no, no. We've established that. It's not about that at all. It's not by self-effort. It's not by self-strength. It's not by self-will. It's not by positive thinking and all of those things. And so how is it achieved? This is... What we're going to look at. You see, this was the problem of man in the first covenant. How was it achieved? Holiness. You know, here it is the, the, in, in context of the law of God. The law of God is perfect. God's law is good. And uh, we find this throughout the scriptures. In fact, um, so much so that um, people began to ask the question, well, if, if, if the law has such an effect upon the human heart that it invokes and awakens such sinful desire and such wickedness to uh, manifest within my own heart, then is there a problem with the law? And, Paul, and this was what they were asking Paul. And Paul said, and so they said, well, is the law sin? And in Romans chapter 7, let me read it to you. Romans 7 verse 7. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He says, certainly not. On the contrary, how would not I have not known sin except through the law? Remember, the law gives us a knowledge of sin. Because the whole purpose of the law is to reflect the holiness of God. God is holy, and so the law of God is holy. And when God, God says, don't do this, don't do that, and what's the tendency of men? To do it. <laughs> And when you're told not to do it, what's the tendency? To want to do it. And so what's the problem? It's sin in me. And this is what the, the gospel deals with. And we'll deal with this in more detail. Not just the forgiveness of sins, but the dealing, how the gospel deals with our sinful nature. And this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. 
So sin is a sin in me that is a problem, but there's deliverance from it. And we'll look at this in more detail as we go along. But see, where's the problem? The law of God's not the problem. The problem is man's heart. The problem is his sinful nature. The problem is his inherent desire to want to disobey God, satisfy himself, and, uh, and there's a part in us, in each of us, the flesh, the carnal nature, the sinful nature, and uh, that, that does not want to submit to God or obey God. And I know, how do I know that? Well, one, because God's word says it. Two, I know, my, I know me. And I, two, you know you. And I know you too. <laughs> Why? Because I know that human nature. Not that I know you personally in that way. You see, I have a statement here. It says the old covenant, this is important, the old covenant is absolutely indispensable for the preparation work it had to do. But it's utterly insufficient to work for us a true and full redemption from our sins and our sinful nature. Notice the two, our sins and our sinful nature. This is what the gospel deals with. But the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was indispensable in that the Bible says the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law was part of the process in which God was going to reveal the sinfulness of sin. And by doing that, the law, when the law came, Paul says, sin revived and I died because all of a sudden that which is in me came alive and began to dominate and began to influence and corrupt me. And so the problem uh, is, is, is men. It's not the law, it's men's heart, it's men's sinful nature. And so the old covenant was, pre- was prep. Ugh. Let's try and get this out. Prep- <laughs> uh, it prepared us, okay? There's another word I'm trying to say there, but it's tongue, I'm tongue twisted. Sorry, Vanessa, you're, you're speechy, but I'm not. <laughs> She's there in the back. <laughs> um, but it was preparatory in the fact that it prepared us for Christ, but it could never resolve the issue. And so it was insufficient. That's why that the end, the Christ is what? The end of the law. Christ. Righteousness comes through Christ, not through obeying the law. And so righteousness is something that it's imputed, not attained. It's not by works. By God's grace. And this is all very important to make, when we understand the Old Covenant or the, the Old Testament in contrast to the, to the New. Because the New Covenant does deal with the issue of sin and our sinful nature. It's interesting because in the First Covenant, man was to prove that he, what he could do And what he was. What could man do? Nothing. The end conclusion, if you you take, when you follow the Old Testament and the Old Covenant to its ultimate conclusion, man could do nothing. And what, what was he? A sinner. Sold under sin is the words of Paul. But in the New Covenant, in the Second Covenant, God would show what he would do. 
And this is really important because the old covenant was preparatory, as I said. But now in the new covenant, in the New Testament, God is going to show you what He's going to do, what He can do, what He will do. And that's not just in redemption in Christ. Obviously, it incorporates that. That's foundational, where we're declared holy. But also in dealing with our sinful nature and how to live a life that is pleasing to God and how to live a holy life that's pleasing to God. Another statement, it says, What God has done for us in Christ is not one bit more wonderful than what he will do in us every day by the Spirit of Christ. Let those words ring. Let me say it again. What God has done for us in Christ, which we've looked at, is not one bit more wonderful than what he will do in us every day by the Spirit of God. Which introduces us to the, the, what the emphasis that I want to make, or one of the things I want to point out this morning, and it's the second foundational pillar to, uh, to holiness when it comes to the new covenant. One is holiness is in Christ. But secondly, in terms of our dealing with our sinful nature and holiness, we must understand it's not in self-effort, it's not in self-determination, but listen to this, it is in and of the Holy Spirit. Mark these words. It is in and of the Holy Spirit. So holiness is in Christ and it is of the Spirit of Christ in us and working in us. And it's those two foundational pillars that help us to understand the work of God, what is holiness and how it is achieved in the Christian life. One is positional, the other is practical. When we talk about the spirit, we're not just talking about something that's disconnected. You know, it's spiritual. No, it's actually very, it's so spiritual that it's purely practical. And that leads us to the practical achievement or application or appropriation of holiness for the Christian. Isn't it interesting that Paul said to the Galatians, he said, Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So that's what happens to the Christian. What begins in the spirit, the Christian now, he's going to complete it, you know. And so we, because we, we're ignorant of God's word and because we're ignorant of the new covenant, oh, yes, we understand salvation. Thank God for that. But there's so much more that is to be, God wants to teach us and reveal to us and to us for appropriate to live the Christian life. That what is practically the experience for many is we try and live the Christian life. And you know what? You fail miserably. You fall short. And the more you ter- determine that you're going to do better, that's why oh, the next New Year's resolution. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And what do you do? <laughs> you do it. And so, and so that's, the, that's, that's human nature. And these are the lessons that we learn as Christians. And then God teaches us and he shows us his covenant and he reveals some of these wonderful truths that he has and the provisions that we have, he has made for us. And we appropriate them through Christ by faith and we experience the power and the blessing and the fullness of Christ and the Spirit of God at work in our hearts. It's by the Spirit. See, the new covenant, what did God say to Jeremiah? 
I will put it in their minds and write it on their hearts. And see, this is the issue of holiness. It's first internal. And, and, and then it finds its expression externally in our lives. But when you have it the other way around, then you set up exter- the externalism of holiness without the proper foundation. Mark my words, it causes immense problems. And it messes people up too. And so what I'm talking about this morning is what we call the dispensation of the Spirit. Okay, this is, I know these are words, but I just listen. The dispensation of the Spirit, meaning that we're living in the New Covenant, the time of the New Testament period, what was instituted some now 2,000 years ago. And so the, the truths that are revealed and taught are applicable for us today. We're in the dispensation of the Spirit and the dispensation of grace and all those things that are attached to it. And so what is important is that we understand what we call the administration of the Spirit. The Spirit must have precedence. The Spirit must have access. The Spirit must uh, uh, be able to move freely uh, rather than be quenched or stifled in our midst because it's only when He has the liberty to work in our hearts as only God can can we achieve those things that God wants to achieve in us and through us. And so it's important to understand the administration of the Spirit. In fact, it's so important for us that Paul the Apostle will touch on it. And and I'll show it to you further in just a moment. But I want to just make a further um, acknowledgement of what we're talking about in this dispensation of the Spirit. Because the issue of the mind and the issue of the heart involved, as I said, the will choices and the actions and the emotions that are, 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 reside within each of us. But you see, when we talk about the Spirit, we are talking about being empowered by the Spirit internally. We are talking about uh, responding to the Spirit internally. We're talking about what the Bible would refer to living in the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. These are terms that you find. And so the two are working together and this is important because listen to Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He's speaking to the church of Philippi. And he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so he's, he's commending them for their outward obedience to God, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So in other words, Um, even though he's not there, this is how they're conducting themselves. So he's commending them. And he says, work out, listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. For it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So note there that there's a partnership. There's, There's a dual aspect that is at work in this process of sanctification and the the practical application of holiness. It is God who works in you to will, to even want to. Uh, Because it's not not in our... We don't have the impulse. When you were a sinner without God, you didn't have an impulse to please God. You're not in that sense. You know, you weren't interested in pleasing him according to that which is written and revealed. But it is God who works in you. 
And if God is working in us, then it is imperative that we cooperate with God. And there is ways and keys to this that we see scripturally. And so that God can have his way. Work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Easy if Paul didn't put those words in there, but he, he's saying this is serious and it, needed, it needs to be treated as such with fear and trembling because you know what we're like? We just take things too haphazardly, too casual. We treat the things of God too lightly. And so sometimes what we need is a dose of fear and trembling to get us in order. I know people don't like to hear that because they just want to talk about love, 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 love. But love is not always going to be the perfect motivator. Ideally, it should be, and I wish it was. But it's not always the case. Sometimes it's the fear of God that causes us to flee and to act and to do. But whatever it takes, let it move us in the direction that is pleasing to God. Let the Spirit have his way in our hearts this morning. Philippians, he says again in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So that's our confidence. This is not, this is God at work in us. This is the initiative that God has, has taken. He saved us. He made us holy. And now he's going to practically work that out in our lives if there's a conditional, if we will work it out if we will be responsive, if we will obey, if we will submit, if we will yield, if we, these are all biblical words that we'll touch upon, but they're all critical to this achieving of holiness in the practical sense of the Christian life. So God is at work by his spirit. This is, this is important. You know, Paul in another place speaks to the church in Romans 6. We're going to get into the detail of that later. But, um, and he says, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, what a, what a stupid comment or question to even be asking. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. And in another place where he writes, Paul, he talks to Titus in chapter 2, verse 11, and he, took, he, he says something Specific about the grace of God. Let me read it to you. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Right there's the gospel. But listen to what God's grace does. It teaches us. God's grace teaches us. I'll put my law in their mind and I'll write it on their heart. They will know him. God, by his grace, he teaches us. What does he teach us? to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us how to live holy, how to live a life that is separate to God, to reflect our position. And so this is the process of sanctification that we find within the Scripture. And so again, what I'm doing is I'm just painting a picture in the general sense this morning. This is very topical. I'm not going into the nitty-gritty of expounding some of the scriptures, but we will, and especially the Romans uh, chapter 6 and, and a couple of other scriptures there in chapter 5 and 7 
and so forth that really do lay out what I'm talking about. But I just want to paint this picture for you so that you can identify with what I'm talking about this morning. You can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's interesting because Paul talks about his, his apostleship, he talks about him, his ministry, and he talks about God's purposes and all of these things. And he writes, and I want to read from verse 4. So follow with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul writes and he says, we, And we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, to think of anything as being from ourselves, for our sufficiency is from God, which is evident. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant. So Paul says, God by, has, has made, he's equipped me and made me a minister of what? The new covenant. This is the dispensation of the Spirit. This is the administration of the Spirit. So Paul's saying, I'm now a minister of the new covenant. Now listen to what he says, verse 6. Who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, not of the Old Testament, not the first covenant, not the Torah, not the law. So it's not of the letter, but listen, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we are dealing with a life-giving Spirit this morning. The Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the, the law of sin and death. And so this is what we need to realize. The new covenant, we're talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not the outward law, not the outward form, not the externalism, but the inward. And that is of the Spirit. Paul says... I'm a minister. Now listen to what he says in verse 7. But if the ministry of death, speaking about the first covenant, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. This was Moses. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And it is, hallelujah. If the, if the old covenant had a, a, a glimpse of glory, which it did, but it faded away, and how much now the new covenant that is of the Spirit, it is more glorious. Listen, verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels, that being of the Spirit. It's superior. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until the, this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament to, to, the, to the unconverted Jew. The glory, uh, that glory is, is now is blinded to that, and they don't see that which relates to the new covenant. Let's continue. But their minds were blinded. Verse 14. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament 
because the veil is taken away in Christ. It's not in the first covenant, it's in the second covenant. It's not in the old, it's in the new, of which he's a minister of. Verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, those of the old covenant and that are in it. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But verse 18, but we all with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. This, I mean, we just read that and it's easy just to kind of, you know, not capture. But if you have a revelation of what Paul's saying here, he's talking about the administration of the Spirit in the New Covenant. It is glorious. It exceeds the glory of the old covenant. In fact, that glory was passing away. It was administration of death. How much now in this new covenant? Now, he gives us a clue. I want you to listen to this, and we're talking about the spirit at work in our hearts. He gives us a clue to what holiness is. You may not have picked it up, but I'm just throwing it out there. Where is there in that text that we find a clue to what holiness is, that is by the Spirit and through the Spirit. Look at verse 18. But we all with unveiled face are beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from glory to glory into the same image by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is at work in our hearts transforming us into his image from glory to glory because we should be becoming more and more like Christ. And that, in essence, is the foundation, I believe, of holiness. In fact, uh, you know, the Bible tells us in Romans that we are being conformed to the image of his Son. Corinthians here talks about being transformed. But either way, we are being conformed to his image. And holiness is such. In fact, I stick to it to this day that one of the best, if not the best, quotes or definitions of holiness for me, in my understanding, was from Sidlow Baxter when I read him many years ago in a book. And he said these words. He says, holiness is likeness unto Christ. Holiness is likeness unto Christ. In other words, you begin to live, you are being transformed into his image. You are being conformed into his image. You are being changed from glory to glory. How? By your, by your own self-effort? By your self-will and your determination? No, by the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And God is at work in our hearts. If we will allow him to have that expression and impact and influence in and through our lives, we're being transformed. Holiness is likeness unto Christ. Now, the reason why I say this is, remember I said holiness is in Christ, which is positional. And in the practical, holiness is unto Christ or likeness unto Christ, because we are being transformed. And so when we talk about being holy as a Christian, it means being like Jesus. It's really simple. 
And that's why when, you talk, when we talk about the external aspects of holiness, we, you know, I don't like to use this phrase, but what would Jesus do? Or, you know, would Jesus do that? You know, would, would Jesus be there with you in that or whatever the case, however you want to make the application? But that's what it comes down to. Very practical. And the Spirit of God is, is at work in us. So the inward man is being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. We cannot help but live and walk like him. See, that's why the Bible says the inward man is being renewed day by day. That we, that we may have power, where? On the, in the inner man. It's all about the realm of the soul and the spirit that is being built up and strengthened in Christ by the Holy Spirit who is in us. Because he who has begun a good work will complete it. And so like, holiness is likeness unto Christ. And so when you see holiness as primarily external this morning, and that becomes the measure, measurement, and I'm not saying it's irrelevant, it's actually very relevant. But where it's, when it's disconnected from this understanding of the Bible, this is where it leads to problems because it's very easy to conform to an outward form, isn't it? If we had some outward form here, we could all adjust to it and all make ourselves turn up to church. We're going to die. Hello, gorgeous. <laughs> but, I know, I'm sorry, my personality's coming out. But at the same time, what is the issues of the heart? What's going on in the heart? Because we can all look good outwardly. We can polish ourselves up outwardly and externally. But what's going on in our heart? What about the hidden sins like of lust and and anger and hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness? The issues of the heart because I tell you, we can have the outward, but what about the inward? And that's what Jesus was getting at, wasn't he, when he spoke about the Pharisees. He said, you guys, you have the outside of the cup all clean and perfected, but inwardly it's filled with extortion and self-indulgence. And so, in other words, outwardly they all looked holy. But he said, inwardly you're filthy and you're blind. And he said, you're filled with dead men's bones. When he gave him another illustration about like a whitewashed tomb, outwardly they were all picture perfect. But inwardly, because holiness is first inward. He says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, yeah, those things have their place. But when they become the foundation, oh, you've missed it altogether because it's an issue of the heart. And this is how it works, the spirit. You know, holiness is a lot harder to achieve through the spirit than it is by us setting up a system and outward rules. That would be easy. We just set up, it just makes it so easier. We could all just conform to this outward form and, uh, you know, and judge holiness based upon those things, those do's and don'ts. But you see, that, that's, that, that's, that's a misunderstanding of how the spirit works in our hearts. And it short circuits the spirit of God working in our hearts. And uh, because for the spirit to produce holiness is a lot harder to achieve in the sense that you are now responsible. You are accountable. You have to make the right choices. And, uh, you know, 
And, and that can be sometimes harder to achieve as a pastor, as a minister of the, of the new covenant. But this is why I'm teaching this, so that you will understand, so that you would walk with God, that you would have an ear to hear what the Spirit says, that you would understand what God wants you to do, that you would have walk in a relationship with the Lord and begin to live and walk in, in holiness. You see, the fruit of holiness must manifest in our lives. So in saying that this morning, who here wants to enter into the fullness and the depths of the new covenant? I mean, that's what Sam was talking about. All these things are studied. I mean, you can just dwell in the superficial and you can just want to drink on milk for the rest of your Christian life, but that's not going to cause you to grow. You're going to have to learn to digest meat at some point. You're going to have to learn to uh, go deeper and seek God. And you're going to have to adjust your life to do so. But in doing that, you will reap the benefits and the blessings that, are, that come. Because if we're going to tap into the fullness of the blessing and the depths of the new covenant, then we have to have a heart that wants to know. Because God's not going to reveal these things if, we're not, if we don't have an ear to hear. In Psalm 25, verse 14, God speaks and he says, The secret, or David writes, he says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. Notice it doesn't say the secret of the Lord is with those who love him. Now that's not to dismiss love. But it's the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Those that reverence him, that have that immense respect for who he is. And God says as you set your disposition and your heart towards him after this manner, the Bible says he will show them his covenant. And that word show is the word to know. In other words, to reveal. God will unveil. And th how does he do it? Through the Spirit. The Spirit teaches. The Spirit guides. The Spirit leads us into all truth. And what does the Bible say? If you abide in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Huh. There it is. But you see, the truth is, is not many Christians understand or enter into the full experience of the new covenant. Listen to this, it's true. Because it's not automatic. Salvation is automatic. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Holiness is in Christ. But what we're dealing with now, and this second aspect, this other aspect, and it relates to the new covenant and God's provision, not all Christians understand or enter into the experience of this. Why? Well, I mean, one, we're ignorant, we're all ignorant. But God... If we, if we set our heart to seek God, to search out his word, to cry out to God, to pray and say, Lord, teach me, reveal yourself to me, then you know what's going to happen? God will begin to show you. He'll begin to reveal you. God will begin to teach you and show you these things because that's how it was in my life, church. I must confess, for me, this is how it was. I'm not saying it's the same for everybody else. Thank God that I pray that what I'm teaching can help you to understand and appropriate these things so that you can avoid some of the, the issues. But many are just content with salvation alone. Well, I'm saved. It doesn't really matter how I live now. I'm saved, so hey, 
All's well. It, and then we can have a, 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 an attitude that is, is, is not commendable, it's not respectable, it has, no, it has no fear of God that it's attached to it. And so, yes, there might be justification or position or holiness in Christ, but what about the pursuit of holiness? What about living a sanctified life? Because the New Testament is filled with commands, it's filled with instruction, and the Spirit of God is clearly wanting to move us in that direction. The Spirit of God clearly wants to implement those things in our lives. The question is, are we listening? Are we obeying? Are we submitting? Are we really seeking these things out? Or are we just going along, filling our mind with the world and all the different things that are clamouring our attention? Yeah, we come to church. Yeah, you know, I'm saved. But what about what I'm talking about this morning? Do you know the depths of the Spirit? You know, it's interesting because as I've studied holiness over the years, one of the things I came to understand is a term that's used in holiness teaching and in holiness circles. Some of you, I'm sure, will be familiar with it. It's called the second blessing. And so some will question whether that's an appropriate expression or not and some of the things that have been attached to it. But the reality is this, and I know just by anecdotal experience myself, and I've seen it, and I've read about it in so many others. And that is, is that, you know, we all get saved. We, we, we love the Lord. We're rejoicing in God for our salvation. But as you go along over months and years in Christ, you're going to realize that, that God wants to do a deeper work in you. And he leads us through certain wilderness experiences. He'll bring us even into a crisis of life. He does that. Some, at the time, you're wondering, what's going on? Why is, what's happening? But you know, God is actually uh, working in you and he's trying to get you to a place because he wants to bring you into a greater blessing and experience of his spirit and of his power in your life. And this is, this is what has been the experience of many. And I, 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 one man stated it this way. He says, it's usually characterized by a crisis separate from conversion in which one passes out of a life of continual feebleness and failure in one's own strength to one of strength and victory and abiding rest in Christ. And that is so true. It is so true. And I'm not saying that it's like that for everybody, but it's like that for a lot of people because, you know, a lot of us are dumb enough to think we can do it ourselves, like me. And we have to learn things the hard way. And then we come to the end of ourselves, like Paul in Romans chapter 7, and say, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Ah, oh, thank God, through Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you begin to appropriate now by faith God's provision, and all of a sudden you have instantaneous victory instantaneous power, instantaneous. And, uh, and you don't have to, you, gone are the, is all the self-effort and all the resolve to do. All of a sudden now in him, you rest, in him you appropriate, in him you have power and dominion and in him you walk and live and stand. And so this is profound, what I'm speaking about, but it lies at the heart of holiness this morning. The Holy Spirit. I want to read just one last scripture, if I may. Again, just to, to complete this panoramic view of the Old and New Covenant in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. 
I've already touched upon it as I've spoken. But let's just read it. Paul writes and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank God for that. We're not under judgment. We've been justified by his blood. We have peace with God. Okay? There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, the law of the Spirit, of life, the law that's written in our mind and our, our hearts, the, this principle of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son like in the likeness of sinful flesh as a man, on account of sin, and he condemns sin in the flesh. That's the gospel. Jesus bore our sin on our behalf in his own body on the, on the cross. Okay, that's what it's saying. What we couldn't do for ourselves, God did through Christ. And he did it by, making, by, by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. That Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is positional. The righteous requirement. This is imputed righteousness. This is being declared holy, separate to God. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, the point I want to make here, as much as there is a positional aspect in what Paul is saying, there is actually a practical aspect and emphasis in what he's instructing. That's why people say in verse, verse, verse 1 of chapter 8, they say, uh, you know, uh, it says there is now, now there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then people will say, well, it doesn't say the original manuscript doesn't say who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It was added for emphasis because the context of what Paul's talking about has to do with a practical application as well as a positional. But Christ has done it. And now, listen to this, verse 5. For those who live, for those, well, verse 4 actually, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and Peace, life and peace. And so, <clears throat> so again, I believe it, it captures the essence of the Spirit, the new covenant, the provision that God's made, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the law that we are living by. That's the principle, the principle of God's Spirit at work in us, making us like Christ. And so I pray in all of this, that you've had a glimpse of some things that God has spoken to you in relation to um, this new covenant that we are in, that we are living in, that we have received an inheritance. We have the Spirit of God in us, working in us. And it's unto this end, unto, unto holiness, which we'll see as we go along in the study. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we just thank you this morning. God, I pray that you would quicken these words. Lord, that you would reveal, that you would teach. I've made my feeble attempt, Lord. But I pray, God, and have confidence in your spirit. That you would take the words of life. 
you will, Lord, speak to individual hearts and minds by way of revelation and in the knowledge of you. I ask God you'd bless the assembly in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.